I found that the average GPA of millionaires was like 2.9, and I'm like, wait, what? Uh, that's not fair. <laughs> and not only were they rich, they were they spent a lot of their time, especially Los Angeles, they spent a lot of their time traveling, having a good time, partying, and I'm like, I want to do that. If you can get a job and somebody can pay you to make a living doing something, you have the value to do that for yourself. In a sense,、um, a lot of time you just don't have that anger. You're not like angered enough. What I should do it, or like the courage, or whatever you want to call it, like that oomph that push you in that direction. If you spend years of your life investing in education, I firmly believe. By the time you finish that, and the return on that investment is, you should have the confidence to get the dream job you want or create the dream job you want. And both paths are difficult,、um, but both is possible. Welcome to the Leading Female Insider Podcast. I'm your host Rebecca. If you are new to this podcast, we have so far interviewed some of the most inspiring individuals. Both in the corporate world as well as entrepreneurs, they share their story and insights, so you can succeed in your career, business, and life. In today's episode, I'm talking to Didi, co-founder and president of Futureproof Retail, a contactless checkout app. Her company serves clients such as Big Y and Fairway, among many others, in the U.S. and around the world. She became an entrepreneur straight out of university, so we talked about how she managed to do it. We also chatted about how can anyone start a side hustle or business, even if you may not know what kind of company you would want to start. She also talked about the importance of listening in her business and how she navigated being the first to market with her idea. I love this conversation, and I think that you'll be inspired by listening to her story too. So enjoy, and if you do, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review so you can continue hearing more stories like this one. For more inspiration, check out leadingfemaleinsider.com, where you can sign up for a newsletter. There's also LinkedIn and Instagram pages. I appreciate that. And now let's get to the conversation. Hi, Didi. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. I'm very excited to talk to you and hear about your business and your entrepreneurial journey. You are the president and co-founder of Future Proof Retail. And so, can you talk about your background and you know、uh, your company for those who don't know? Yeah.、Um, so I'll start with the company.、Uh, Future Proof Retail is a mobile checkout where people can use their phone to scan items, pay with their phone, checkout, and store.、Um, and Future Proof Retail, we're also one of the early leader of the new frictionless checkout industry. And myself. I'm a global entrepreneur. I'm passionate about technology, education, and sustainability. And when I say sustainability, I don't just mean like environmental sustainability. I also mean a sustainable business practice.、Um, and my mission in life is to maximize human potential by removing friction and time, by aligning profit with value, and to pay pay it forward. I love your mission. You were brought up in California. So, can you talk about you know your background there a little bit? Which school did you go to? And also,、uh, shortly after you graduated, you became an entrepreneur.、Uh, 
So like most people are trying to find, find a job and, you know, they might have some student debt to pay off, et cetera, or they just uh, feel like they, you know, they, they're not, they don't have enough courage to start something on their own. So how did you get to that place where you said, okay, I'm going to start something, uh, you know, something on my own? What's the story yeah. there? <laughs> yeah, funny story. Cause, um, I was on the path like most people. I grew up in a traditional, um, family, Asian family, very, very strict. You have to get straight A's. I could be either a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. Um, I don't like blood, so I can't be a doctor. I'm not that good with, I, I'm not that good with numbers. So, um, engineering is out. And, but I'm very good with rules and I'm very good at listening to adults at the time. So, and I apparently like to talk and argue. So lawyer was the path I was going to go towards. So the plan was, um, I went to UCLA for undergrad. I have a degree in global studies. Um, and then I went to NYU for grad school. I have a master's in economics. So the plan was, um, do international sustainable, uh, business law. So after that, I was going to go to law school and be super specialized because the more specialized you are, the better the career prospect and you can climb that um, ladder. So that was a plan and that plan's probably been in existence since I was born. Like you are supposed to get straight A's, you're supposed to go to top schools um, and you're supposed to follow this system. And I was fine with that except for when I went to Los Angeles for undergrad and I started working because you want to get internship early, you know, that's part of the whole package. Um, I start meeting a lot of really wealthy business owners and they were not A students. Many of them were not even B students. They didn't, and they did not stay up late and work long hours um, so I got curious, but you know, they hire a bunch of people who stay up late, work long hours, a students really, you know, studious and obedient. And, you know, I started researching, I think I found that, um, the average GPA of millionaires was like 2.9. And I'm like, wait, what? Uh, that's not fair. <laughs> And not only were they rich, they were, they spent a lot of their time, especially Los Angeles, they spent a lot of their time traveling, having a good time, partying. And I'm like, I want to do that. Um, so I think being in college and really like, like I got to my entrepreneurial path by following like to the T of the, you know, the good student path. And I think when I saw how many rich people was having so such a good time without studying nearly as much and was able to have a social life, I was jealous. Um, so the first company or the first job I did created myself was I created an events planning company because I, you know, prior to college, my bedtime was like nine o'clock. PM. So I've never gone to parties. I didn't know how to socialize. I mean, I know how to socialize with really smart people and I love my nerdy group. Um, and I'm proud to be a nerd. Um, but you know, how do you get invited to a cool party? How do you do all of those things? 
and it was too hard. It took too much effort to figure out directly. Um, so I created my own parties. So I created a whole thing so that I can create events and get people come to my events so I can have a social life. So the first uh, entrepreneurial journey I did was more to fulfill a fantasy that I felt unfairly I didn't get to experience because I was studying all the time. Um, and then the second business I did was when I realized, you know, like when I realized the path that's laid out to me and how much longer it would take and maybe my entire life before I make the money I wanted to make and have the lifestyle I wanted to make. I was like, well, how do people be entrepreneurs? I'm like, well, what am I good at? What value can I bring to the table? And the only thing I was really good at is being a student because I was a very good student. Um, so that's why prior to future proof, my entrepreneurial skill would apply in the education industry. And at that point, I was also kind of upset because I know friends that's like graduated from like Ivy League that then couldn't find jobs or couldn't find good jobs. And less than 2% of people get there. So I noticed there's a huge gap between education and industry. And I wanted to fill that gap. So by working to fill that gap and by working with talented students and by working with prominent family, I've also were able to see like, okay, if we're going to, you're going to study. So by the time you graduate, you should be able to create the job you want or know the job you want and get it. Um, cause you invest so much of your life into this education. You should be able to get that back instead of being in massive debt and then, um, being in a job that you don't like and you can't apply your creativity and not knowing what you want. Like, how can you spend years trying to figure out what you want and still not know what you want? So I spend a lot of energy on helping students change that narrative. And in that process, I developed the philosophy I wanted to live. I realized time is the most important thing. I realized I really want to align profit with value. I, I love this story. It's so amazing. And uh, a lot of your, the, your research that you've done is true, obviously. So it's, uh, it's interesting to think about. And what do you have, what advice do you have for those who, you know, might come out just from, uh, from, from school now, or they are already in the, the, you know, in the corporate world and they are listening to you and they're saying, wait, <laughs> uh, and then they are thinking about what should they do? What, what advice do you have for them? For those who may not know, like what can they do on their own or, or they, they have some ideas, but they might not have the courage. What do you have uh, as an advice for them? Because you obviously had the courage to go out there and, and start something on your own. So I do, do believe that you have some, some uh, valuable advice there. It's my advice is, I'm not dissing school. I think a lot of my success and work apply the stuff I learn at school, like not literally the books or not all of them, but how to learn the research skills. Like I think a lot of time, once people go into the real world, they stop researching, they stop uh, paying attention and students, what do you do? You listen to lectures, you know, you listen to teachers. So the listening skills, all of these are like really important skills that can make you successful. So you need that on one hand. On the other hand, you need to listen to yourself. You need to figure out who you are, like what you want. And 
you have and what value you have to offer. Like, what are you good at? Like, it's, it's not just you can't just come out with an idea. Like, what are you good at? And you start there. And that's what I did. You know, I was good at being a student, or I'm good at connecting people. I'm, you know, I'm good at trying to make things more energetic.、Um, what are you good at? Start with your like research skills. So understand the space you are, want to be in. Start with what you're good at, so you have some value to offer. Like, what do you have to give? So even if you know you have something to give, you can teach somebody something, and somebody's gonna value that, right? And then from there, think about how you can make a living doing that.、Uh, because if you can get a job and somebody can pay you to make a living doing something, you have the value to do that for yourself. In a sense,、um, a lot of time you just don't have that anger. You're not like angered enough. What I should do it, or like the courage, or whatever you want to call it, like that oomph that push you in that direction.、Um, and you know, I challenge. People like you know students. If you spend years of your life investing in education, I firmly believe by the time you finish that, the return on that investment is you should have the confidence to get the dream job you want or create the dream job you want. And both paths are difficult,、um, but both is possible. And if you it seems so far out of reach, then invest in yourself. Like invest in solving any trauma that you might have. Invest in your physical health. Make sure you're healthy. Invest in your mental health. Make sure you know you're you're not ruminating and get stuck in different th-、uh, negative thought patterns. Invest in your like emotional health and invest in your communication skills. Learn and meet people. Like talk to different people. Like if you want to be an entrepreneur, you're engaging in people business. Be curious about people, and when you can offer value directly to enough people, then you can create your own company. Then you can create a sustainable business, and hopefully, the value you offer to people is a good, positive value that lifts them up as well. And together, you can create a win-win model. I love that advice, and I hope that others can apply it in their lives as well and、uh, take you as an example. And、uh... Have the courage to to、uh, you know to try, and you know this、uh, company that you're having. It's quite technical, right?、Uh, it's contactless checkout.、Uh, how did you come up with、uh, you know with the idea, and、uh, you know, how did you make it happen? I actually met my partner Will Hogman in a philosophy club, and we bonded over the value of time. Like we both want to maximize human potential by removing friction in time, and we align on. How we want to work and how we want to make an impact.、Um, so the idea for Future Proof Retail actually started on a trip together. We were traveling to Canada, and I wanted to buy a bottle of water before the plane ride, but there was a really long line. We didn't have cash on us, and our plane was about to leave. So thirsty and frustrated, I was complaining to Will. I said, "Speaking of friction and time." Won't it be awesome if we can solve waiting in line?、Mm-hmm. And he was trying to impress me, but he in he said, you know, I can make an app for that. So my partner and actually my core team, Dave, are they've been making mobile applications since the launch of the App Store. So there's nobody in retail tech that have as experienced 
team when it comes to mobile technology. Um, so I challenge Will. I say, prove it. And within a weekend, he made a prototype of what this could look like. And so I'm very, very good at researching and understanding the entire market. So I look into retail technology, and I've learned that you know once in a decade you have a new technology that become the new retail tech. Like e-commerce was an example、um, that kind of became the. Norm and became its own industry the prior decade. So, looking at e-commerce, I made a prediction.、Um, looking at Alibaba and Amazon, the e-giants of the East and West, that they were hitting diminishing marginal returns, and that they were going to come offline and compete in the physical retail space. And I predicted they were going to come offline in either grocery or fashion. And because they were already investing in 2012 around that time in both of these industries, I thought they were going to come offline in 2015. So, yeah, I was right. They came offline. They came offline, started at grocery, but they didn't come offline till like 2017. So I was off by a couple of years. I was looking at Will. I'm like, hey, we cannot just solve waiting in line. We have an opportunity. To be the forefront of a new industry, so this opens up. Like this can apply our philosophy, how we want to work. We can make so much more of an impact. So we were really excited by that,、um, and we recruited our teammates. I started pitching it. I got you know got the support based on my education industry, and we got started at end of 2013, and we were live as. Early as 2015. Wow, that's pretty impressive. And、uh, how did you, how did you go about, you know, start pitching and、uh, the idea, and how did that all come together? The benefit of retail technology is that it's a very sticky industry. Once you're in, because retailers, their main business is their retail business. Technology is a necessary evil. They don't want it until it's a necessary. But once it's necessary, they don't touch it. Don't change my system. I don't want you to break it. You know, that's why it's a very sticky industry.、Um, it's like once you have an e-commerce site, you have your platform. Don't pitch me new solution. I'm gonna stick with it until it absolutely crashes. Same thing. So we see the next generation、um, is、uh, mobile, the, and mobile technology was strong enough. And when we told them our prediction of Amazon and Alibaba, and we showed them market data, it was really easy for people to agree with the analysis. We bring to the table something unique. It wasn't just an idea. We bring to the table a tech team that's literally been making apps since the launch of the App Store. So we have the tech talent that's gone through and that's worked together on various projects、um, that has. Already proven track record of success, so convincing the team to join join us on this vision of doing business a new way, of being the leaders of a new industry, and then convince convincing supporters and investors and partners to join us in this journey,、um, was 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 very exciting and was. It was relatively easy because we have that traction, and because we have more than just an idea, we have some, we have the skill to make the idea happen. So, getting started was the easy part, and then it got hard. <laughs>
<laughs> but usually, it's usually hard to uh, start a company. And you mentioned it was the easy part for you. What difficulties uh, did you face and how did you overcome the difficulties? The first difficulty was um, my third prediction didn't come true. Uh, uh, Amazon and Alibaba did not came offline till 2017. And that's two years in the startup world is a long time. And, it, you know, many business can go out of business really quickly. Um, so originally, we planned on focusing on the grocery industry in US, and then eventually going global. So at that time, we didn't have enough time, we didn't have enough time to fully show our vision, we see the stores of the future as a hybrid model, but we were too fast. And the reason why Amazon and Alibaba was important was because if we had to come in with a brand new idea and a brand new solution and market it ourselves without the validation of the bigger players, it would have been so expensive. And to fundraise that kind of money is very, very difficult unless you're completely plugged in. Um, so we kind of have to be very smart with our spending and um, money is time. And if we run out of time, you don't have a chance. So in 2015, when they didn't come offline, we changed and we went global faster. We changed um, by pushing a partnership strategy and we work, we find all of the best players in the industry and we collaborated with them. We say, Hey, we're the tech guys. We offer the technology. You have the business expertise. We'll plug into your business expertise and we can grow just together. We can share, we can collaborate. Um, at that point, we were able to tell our story, um, but by telling the story of the retail story and putting ourselves in the market instead of selling, because that takes too long, knock on your door. Do you want to work with me? Do you want to work with me? We're going to run out all of the money. We tell our story. We participate. We communicate it as industry leaders, and we have clients find us the most innovative clients that's looking ahead, that sees Amazon and Alibaba coming offline, that wants to be the first. We, our objective was as long as they know we exist, if they check us out in every other solution, we're confident we're going to get the deal. And that's what we did. And um, we end up going global fast. We end up being in three continent and five retail vertical before we really, really like hone in and start scaling up the business. So we kind of took a different direction, but that kept us alive. That kept our um, vision, uh, kept on proving it. And the other thing we had to pivot was we realized because the timeline is so long, uh, we have to focus on the clients. So I think a lot of company come in they focus on the investors. They focus on investment to uh, survive, to grow. And that's that's a very dangerous model because most people don't survive on that model. Most investment business kind of get kicked out within a couple of years. So for us, we believe as long as we can survive, we will thrive. So we switch to, we really, really focus, not switch is our ideal model in the first place, a sustainable business model where we focus on making sure our client pay for their service and we articulate with the first to have a transparent uh, pricing model so it's easy. Um, and that way we can survive based on the use of our product. Like our value 
can generate enough to keep us alive, and that kind of help us buy time and to evolve with the market and to stay in the conversation and keep on leading this industry. You mentioned uh, earlier on that listening was very important for you, listening to uh, to the to the customers and listening to uh, the end consumers as well. Uh, can you talk about uh, your approach in listening and um, how how does it how do you incorporate listening into your into your business? Yeah, um, on two fronts. One, we listen to our client because like I mentioned, retailers are very different with different needs um, by kind of hearing what is their pain point, what is the imminent business problem they need to solve right away. And responding to that, we were able to solve their problem. Um, that resulted in we have the most customizable solution in the market. We realized we can provide a foundation. Everybody wants a fast checkout, but some might use the They might need it to service a certain type of customers. Some might need it to make sure the inventory is there. You know, they have different reasons and different things that they prioritize. So we're able to kind of deal with that. Um, on the other hand, it's not, you can't just listen to your client when your end product is, is customers consumer facing, right? So for us to help our client to be successful, their shoppers have to like the app because it is many times white label. So it's their app. And a lot of retail apps are not successful because they're not listed. Listening doesn't extend beyond like the boardroom or the conference room of the decision makers. And we really need to expand that listening all the way down to the end user. So we're the only scan and go solution in the market today that has a customer service feedback. So at the end of every trip, you get to rate your app and you get to write any comment back. Is there any kind of situation when listening uh, may not pay off? Part of listening is you listen and you learn. And sometimes you listen to some people and if they're not very they're not in they're not open for collaboration they're just critical for example but with no solution then once you hear that a few times you don't need to keep you don't need to stay around and keep listening to that you know we we want to listen to productive conversations that can help us move forward get the main point apply it and then listen to something else so then you can keep on improving success for me is a win-win model that lifts everybody up um And to get a little bit cheesy because Valentine's Day is around the corner, it's love. It's, you know, love who you work with, love what you do, like find ways to amplify like that passion um, and be able to find creative ways to keep on growing that passion and sharing that passion. So that is ultimate success to me. And what is, uh, what is the one thing in your self-care routine that you could not live without? Face masks and bubble bath. Nice. <laughs> nice one. Do you have a favorite, uh, favorite uh, flavor or? Um, I, I've just discovered those, um, bubble face masks. They're so fun. Like they're the mask, the sheet mask you can put on your face and they turn into like bubble. Um, and bubble bath, I like lavender classic, uh, and I, I love the lush bath bombs. 
they're also really, really fun. So nice. Uh, Didi, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. It's great. And I love your podcast. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs> thank you so much. If you much. like this episode, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review on the platform of your choice. My favorite is Apple Podcast, as it's really helpful for rankings and it improves our social proof. For more inspiration, check out leadingfemaleinsider.com and subscribe for the newsletter. We're also on Instagram and LinkedIn as Leading Female Insider and on Clubhouse as LF Insider. And I would love to hear from you. What did you like? What you didn't like about this podcast? You can shoot me a DM on LinkedIn and or Instagram. Thank you. This is Rebecca signing off.